Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about a situation a lot of people don't know about. It's called preeclampsia. Some people know about it. Some people have never heard about it. Some people kind of know what it is. So we're going to kind of dive in deep and talk about the signs and the symptoms and how it affects parent and pregnancy and baby. But before we do, I'd like to take to take a moment and ask if you're enjoying the podcast and it's been beneficial to you, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps more people find the podcast. I'd also like to ask if this again is helping you in any sort of way to consider leaving a donation for the podcast. You can do it right on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. The contributions help the podcast get produced and continue. And with that, I want to thank one of our recent contributors, Ashley from Geneva, Switzerland. I love that we're now international. People are listening to us all over. Thank you for your very generous contribution. All right, let's get to the podcast. We have Rebecca Britt. She's the Community Education and Engagement Manager at the Preeclampsia Foundation. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for spending a little time with me and talking about preeclampsia. Thank you, Deb. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to let people know that are in the prenatal period more facts about preeclampsia. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So preeclampsia, um, we're going to get into it, but just the reason I wanted to talk about this is I've had students actually have preeclampsia. In fact, as a doula, the very first birth I attended, the mom had to be induced because of preeclampsia. So it's kind of been on my radar for a while. And then last year, I don't know if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, so it's a bit of a spoiler. Um, <laughs> one of the, one of the, characters had preeclampsia as well. So it's something I think people may kind of know about, but maybe not enough. So I'm really excited to dive pretty deep into this and find out more. So before we get into that, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and what brought you to this line of work and focusing on preeclampsia. Yeah, so um, my name's Rebecca Britt. I um, got into this line of work of preeclampsia, um, not specifically by choice. Um, I I'm a social worker by trade, and I have worked with all sorts of populations and um, people with mental illness or children suffering uh, childhood developmental trauma. And then I also worked at an infertility clinic. So I really started to learn um, kind of what the infertility journey is and the trauma that goes along with trying to get pregnant for so long and then possibly having an adverse outcome um, once you do get pregnant. And dealing with those cases kind of helped me um, 
um, get used to this population and understand um, where these women are coming from. So I moved to Florida and was looking for a job and the Preeclampsia Foundation was hiring. And I thought that um, with my experience and background as a community engagement person, that um, it would be a good fit. And I will say that our CEO has a personal experience. She lost a baby due to preeclampsia. Um, and so her personal passion is um, totally what drives our mission. And um, we have several people actually on our board and uh, on staff that have personal experience with preeclampsia. So let's talk a bit about what is preeclampsia. Yeah, so preeclampsia is a disorder that only occurs in pregnancy and the postpartum period. Um, it affects both the mother and the unborn baby, and it happens in about 5 to 8% of all pregnancies. So it is a rapidly progressive condition, and it's characterized by high blood pressure and usually the presence of protein in the urine, although... Um, you don't have to have protein in the urine. So it's definitely characterized by high blood pressure. So that's one of the reasons that most care providers on many visits uh, take a urine sample, I'm guessing? Yes. And some don't take urine samples now um, because protein isn't um, required. But if you have any concern, I would request a urine dip for protein, and definitely they're taking your blood pressure at every visit. Mm -hmm. So who is at risk? So there's several risk factors for preeclampsia. Um, having a previous history of preeclampsia definitely puts you um, at a higher risk. Multiple gestation, or if you're pregnant with more than one baby, having a history of chronic high blood pressure, diabetes, kidney disease, um, organ transplant. Interestingly enough, a risk factor is first pregnancy. So if this is your first pregnancy, you're at a higher risk. Obesity, so particularly a body mass index of 30 or greater, um, if you have advanced maternal age, so over 35, or if you're young, so under 20 years of age, you're at higher risk. If you have a family history of preeclampsia, so a lot of women will have preeclampsia and they will reach out to us and then they'll say, I didn't even know this till I got it, but my mom said the same thing happened to her. Hmm. Um, this happened to my aunt. So really tracing back your family history um, would help you to know if you're more at risk. So a family history of preeclampsia, um, PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome can be a risk factor, lupus or other autoimmune disorders, IVF, sickle cell disease, and African-American, actually black women are four times more likely to get preeclampsia than their white counterparts. Any idea why? So there's a lot of um, controversy over this, and it's definitely um, in the media, and I, I love that it's being talked about. There is not a specific reason. Mm -hmm. um, some people argue um, uh, systemic racism, genetics. Um, so, so there's not a definitive answer why, but we do know that African-American women do get preeclampsia four times um, more than white women. That's a huge, huge number. Do they get checked more often than at visits or are the visits increased? Do you know? Because I know there's a kind of like so a set schedule for a lot of visits. So it's really interesting that you asked that because so women that are at high risk period should get um, should get checked more often and should be um, treated as the, or should be monitored more closely. Um, there are some states that or programs that are starting 
to um, because the risk is so much greater for African-American women, women, they are starting to treat women that are African-American um, more um, closely. So they might, you know, see them more often or give them home care. Um, but, you know, there's still a question out there uh, for um, African-American women. Is that something that they would want? Like just because of their race, would they want a higher level of care? Um, so, they, they are starting to use that as a risk factor and adjusting treatments um, to address that. I mean, this is totally kind of a wild thought, but can someone be taught to take their own blood pressure so they can check it if they know they're at higher risk? Yeah, of course. So I would recommend that everybody that's pregnant get a blood pressure cuff and um, you can get them and they're electronic and they're at the pharmacy and you can take your blood pressure every day. And um if you are, if you're at risk, I don't uh, want now. I don't want the class, <laughs> the community start to be like, oh my god, everyone, I better run out and get this. So <laughs> I know maybe it's just because I work for the Preeclampsia Foundation that I'm like, if I'm pregnant, I'm gonna take my blood pressure all the time. Um, well, and one of the risks is first pregnancy, so that's a lot of women. Um, but I do think monitoring it and checking it, like even if you're just at at CVS or if you're at a local pharmacy, yeah, just, they have those little cuffs right there. A lot of them, yeah, just pop over there and, and check it um, in between visits. It, it can't hurt and it's good to keep um, an eye on it. So absolutely, you can you can teach women. And, and there are programs right now that are sending women home that are at risk for postpartum, which we'll talk about in a bit, mm-hmm. um, with a blood pressure cuff. So absolutely, doctors are recommending that women can monitor that at home. So we, all right. So we know um, protein in urine is a possibility that could lead to a high blood pressure, obviously, but what other signs and symptoms? Because I've actually visually seen students and be like, you need to call your care provider. So can you talk a little bit about some of the visual and just questions you can probe into um, to help someone understand if they may or, or a partner be able to ask somebody? Yeah, so the symptoms associated with preeclampsia are headaches, abdominal pain, shortness of breath, burning behind the sternum, nausea, vomiting, uh, confusion, a heightened state of anxiety. And I'm kind of smiling while I'm saying these, not because they're not serious, but I'm describing pregnancy pregnancy symptoms. (laughs) Well, the big one I was thinking of, I'm going to jump in and say it, is like, a puffiness different than just normal swelling. Like I've had a couple students that look almost like doughboy swollen in the face. And I would seen them for months as, you know, in class. And then like their face just looks extra swollen. And, and I'd ask like, how are you feeling? And one was like, I have these kind of flashy lights and I have a headache. I'm like, you need to call your care provider. So is the puffiness something that's outdated or, or is it still something people should be aware of? No, totally be aware of it. And um, you, um, so yeah, face and hand puffiness. So yes, you're going to get swollen ankles. You're going to get swollen feet while you're pregnant. But if your hands and your face are visibly puffy um, or swollen, then that's absolutely a sign that you should get, you should check your blood pressure and you should get checked by your doctor. Um, like you were just talking about seeing flashing spots or oversensitivity to light or blurred vision, that those are actually symptoms of, of pretty well-progressed preeclampsia. So um, 
So definitely any changes in your vision. The the biggest thing is if you feel like something isn't right, because I said headaches, abdominal pain, shortness of breath, which if you're pregnant, you're going to feel all those things at mm-hmm. some point. But if it gets to a point where something isn't right, trust your instincts, get it checked out by your doctor and and keep and keep track of it. The headaches are usually a severe headache that will not go away, even if you take something for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's everything kind of, you know, to the extreme degree. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality. For your most precious gift, Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Now, what if someone gets, because I get migraines and I get the flashy lights with migraines. So how would someone know, I guess just better to get it checked out. Because if someone's prone to migraines and they're having that during pregnancy, there could be confusion like, is this preeclampsia? Is this a migraine? Or is it just better? No matter what, just might as well check it out. Yeah, I feel like the worst thing you can do is like brush it off. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're getting your blood pressure checked, maybe if you know that you have migraines and you get flashy lights when you see migraine, maybe you are one of the people that keeps the blood pressure cuff at home and just check your um, blood pressure once a day or even women that are at risk or are already having symptoms, we tell them to check it a couple times a day because it can fluctuate and it can really progress rapidly. So um, I would just get it checked out. And um, again, that doesn't mean that you have to go to the emergency department every two minutes or anytime you have a migraine, but, but be checking your blood pressure. And if something isn't right, or you just know something doesn't feel right, better to get it checked out. So let's talk about, you know, why, like, how does this affect pregnancy? So for like, check it out, not something to brush aside. Let's talk about why, how does it affect pregnancy? Also, how does it affect the baby? Yeah. So, Um, so for the mom, blood pressure, um, it can cause your blood pressure to rise and it puts you at risk for brain injury. It can impair kidney, liver function, um, cause blood clotting, clotting problems, can cause pulmonary edema, which is fluid on your lungs, seizure in, in the most severe forms left untreated. Um, it can, it can cause maternal and, and infant death. Um, so and it affects the the blood flow to the placenta, so that often leads to smaller or prematurely uh, born babies. So, and if you want me to to go on to um, what effect it can have on babies, yeah. Uh, worldwide, preeclampsia is responsible for twenty percent of the thirteen million preterm births each year. So, prematurity definitely, and a baby is considered premature if they are born before thirty seven weeks. Uh, but more severe issues um, can happen when babies are born before 32 weeks. Mm-hmm. And the effects of being born early, which I'm sure many women know, can can widely vary. Some, some babies spend one or two days in the NICU for observation, and then there's babies that spend months in the NICU and can suffer lifelong problems such as learning disorders or cerebral palsy, um, epilepsy, um, due to their their um, developmental trauma that happened being premature. 
Yeah, so it's uh, a it's a big deal. It's definitely if it's something and people are getting a sense something's wrong, it's a big deal. So is there a particular time during pregnancy that someone's more likely to develop preeclampsia? Like can someone rest assured, like, okay, I reached this mark, I'm probably fine, or what's kind of the, the broad view? Well, it's the opposite. So you are probably fine if you're before a mark. Okay. And then you need to kind of monitor yourself more closely. So um, women are usually diagnosed after the 20th week of pregnancy. So there's a lot of women that are in their first trimester and they're starting to worry about their blood pressure or preeclampsia. And um, preeclampsia is not diagnosed that that early um, because it has to do with a deficiency of the placenta. Um you know, the, the placenta has to be kind of developed and breaking down before um, preeclampsia would arise. So mm-hmm. um, so it's the 20th week of pregnancy or after. We've seen some as early as 16 weeks, but really um, uh, most literature says 20, 20 weeks. Now, that is not to say if you pass 20 weeks, you're fine. A lot of women get this at 39 weeks and then they deliver, they have a healthy baby and, and, and they recover and it's fine. Um so the closest you can get to term, obviously, the better, um, but uh, it is after the 20th week of pregnancy that you can possibly be diagnosed. So when someone's diagnosed, let's just kind of use a broad view, 20 weeks, it's still extremely early. So say someone's 20, 25, 28 weeks, and they get diagnosed, that's different than 37, 38, 39 weeks, which we know have baby. So what happens when someone's diagnosed earlier in their pregnancy with preeclampsia? Yeah. So, um, the impact of preeclampsia is definitely more profound, um, when it occurs early in pregnancy. Um, and so the woman's blood pressure will usually be managed. Um, care providers might recommend time off work, um, there's some controversy over bed rest. Bed rest, yeah. Then, I was going to wonder but, if you're going there. <laughs> um, but they may um, they may recommend bed rest, medication, of course, for um, hypertension. And then a lot of women are hospitalized um, to keep the blood pressure under control and to try to keep baby in utero as long as, pros- as possible. And then are they also at that point, because they may deliver early, are they trying to get the baby's lungs developed and just try to help baby along? A little quicker. Yeah, when it starts to become apparent that um, that they may need to deliver early, they definitely do. Um, they do give mom steroids so that the baby's lungs can develop and have the best chance of surviving after uh, preterm delivery. Deep breath. That's a lot to take in. So I hope we're yeah. not freaking out the, the community. Um, just to just shine a little light, can you can you just repeat that? It's a big, big deal to have preeclampsia, but the percentage is not huge. Would you say five to eight percent of women? Yeah, so it's so it's five to eight percent, which is one in twelve. But also oh, that's to shine, high. <laughs> one in twelve feels a lot worse. And of course, you know, as the preeclampsia foundation, we have to shine a light on like this happens more than you know. But um, with that said, the majority of women that get preeclampsia get it later on and it's treated and they they deliver a happy, healthy baby and they go on to recover. It's not um, a huge adverse outcome for them. So if someone's had it for one pregnancy, are they higher risk for subsequent? You said there's a family history and first time moms are highest at risk. So I forgot if you said you might expect it for a second. 
Yeah. So if you have a history of preeclampsia, definitely you're um, at a higher risk. Um, it, but um, the research suggests that the risk of having it in a subsequent pregnancy is 20%. But really, um, more research is needed to know more certainly how high your risk is because it kind of depends on the severity of your your first experience mm-hmm. or your previous experiences. Um, if you do, if you have had preeclampsia before, you may get it again. Um, but often the repeat occurrence is less severe, although no one can really predict that for sure, of course. Um, if you did have it in a previous pregnancy, it is imperative that you that your doctor knows that and that you even see a maternal fetal medicine specialist or someone who is considered a high-risk doctor so that they can just monitor you more closely. High-risk doctors do have um, specialties in um, disorders of pregnancy like preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if you have multiple risk factors, like if if you already had preeclampsia once and now you're having twins or something, that kind of um, multiplies your risk. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that there's the most research done on low-dose low aspirin as far as like a um, preventative of preeclampsia or something that might delay the onset of preeclampsia. So um, your doctor might decide to start you on low-dose aspirin either before you're getting pregnant or um, during the first trimester. It's usually recommended that from by 12 weeks, you're started on it. Um, so well, let's jump into that. What other things can help reduce the risk then? So unfortunately, the answer to can you lower your risk for preeclampsia is the short answer is no. Okay. Um, <laughs> You would like there is a total myth out there that this is just something that happens to women who are overweight and don't eat right. But we see over and over again women that are super healthy and um, have great diets and great lifestyles and they they have preeclampsia. So at the Preeclampsia Foundation, we say every woman, every pregnancy. Um, and so if you are planning on getting pregnant, of course, reducing things like your BMI or getting your blood pressure under control is helpful and can reduce your risk. But once you're pregnant, there really isn't much you can do except for stay vigilant and to monitor yourself. Okay. So what causes preeclampsia in the body? You you said something about the placenta having to be... Uh, I don't want to say size or just viable. Um, So what causes it in the body? So I wish I had a great answer for you and a clear (laughs) answer for you. But the cause remains unknown. So there's been numerous proposed theories and they've led to various attempts at preventing and um, intervention strategies and none have been proven to be overwhelmingly successful. Um, There is... However, like I was talking about, a general agreement that the placenta plays a key role um, in oh, preeclampsia. Is that why risk is higher for twins because there's two placentas? Well, I guess there could be one if it's a if it's an identical. But is that why one of the reasons? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Although um, I could imagine. Um, it, it, I could imagine if it was one placenta that the risk would be higher because if it's caused by a breakdown of the placenta being able to deliver um, valuable nutrients and blood supply and it's not able to do that mm-hmm. and it's putting more, um, you know, it's stress on the mom and on the fetus, mm-hmm. I could totally see how how multiple babies would, would add to that. 
All right, so it's not really known. It's a very interesting topic and situation because there's a lot of unknowns. So let's jump a little bit to postpartum because we've talked a lot about preeclampsia is most of the time thought of as a pregnancy complication. So so is someone totally in the clear once baby's been had and if, or do you still need to keep an eye out for this postpartum? And um, then I guess the bigger question is if getting the baby out is how preeclampsia is resolved, what do you do if you have this postpartum? Yes. I'm so glad you asked this question. So I just talked about the placenta. So there has been a myth for a long time that says delivery is the cure. So once you've delivered the baby and you've removed that placenta, the mom's condition is going to get better. Um, And that is true except for the moms may get worse before they get better. And that's what women, so it's not a cure. It's the acute treatment, um, but women might get worse before they get better. And with this myth, it's so scary because women may be sent home to recover from their pregnancy and, and they are with their newborn at home and they're tired and they're not thinking of themselves. They might be recovering from a C-section and they're having all these symptoms, but they figure this is just what being in recovery from birth is. And they're not realizing that they could have very severe preeclampsia symptoms going on. Um, And a lot of times uh, they don't recognize it or report it. So it is very serious. It can happen up to six weeks after delivery. So, um, so, so that's how long moms need to stay vigilant. Um, And how do you treat it if you can't deliver a baby? So you need to stay on your hypertension meds. Moms are given magnesium sulfate if they are getting to a point where they may be having eclamptic seizures um, for preeclampsia. If if it gets severe enough, they're usually put on mag sulfate um, to prevent seizures. Now, mag sulfate kind of has a masking effect and can make um, it look like a woman's blood pressure is lower. But as soon as she gets off that mag sulfate, often her blood pressure can spike again. So you, she does need to be treated with um, antihypertensives uh, sometimes in the postpartum period. So a lot of times we recommend going to see, going to a follow-up appointment within three days to a week after a preeclampsia delivery um, so that women are checked, their blood pressure is checked, and, and they are recovering properly afterwards. But if someone didn't have preeclampsia prior to giving birth, is what's the likelihood of developing it postpartum? Yeah, so uh, there is a likelihood of, and I, I don't want to be quoted on this, but um, recent numbers that I've seen have said about a third mm-hmm. of women that have readmitted for uh, preeclampsia postpartum didn't have it um, in the prenatal period. So if you've had a healthy delivery and everything's all good, I still you still need to remain vigilant, uh, still monitor your blood pressure. And if something doesn't feel right, uh, definitely report it. Yeah, I did a I did a podcast. Gosh, the woman's name is escaping me. Deborah something um, from I think perinatal quality something, and we talked about postpartum support and and health of the of the new parent. And what was really interesting, and again, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I think preeclampsia was the, one of the top seven fatalities for new mothers, and the, I guess the highest risk is forty two days 
postpartum, which is for most people, they're not seeing their care provider until that six-week mark. So women or new parents are being left to their own, trying to figure out their own health at their highest point of risk because most most care providers don't do like a two or four week checkup. They do a six week. So here you're saying, you know, approximately a third of women could be at risk for something like preeclampsia. And yet they may not have the tools to recognize this. So I'm glad that we're saying like, if something doesn't feel right, speak up. And it's so hard though, as a new mother or a new parent, because there's a lot of fatigue and overwhelm. So how do you even know what's, what feels right? You know what I mean? It's hard to, it's, it's a little bit of a, a challenge. That's right. And and it's really important that women just understand their risk and uh, stay in tune to their bodies and report things. Because even though we say it would be great that you go see your doctor for a follow-up within one week, sometimes doctors won't schedule you that early. Sometimes insurance won't cover it that early. Well, that's the big thing. Um, a lot of insurances won't cover multiple follow-ups. In fact, from what I've heard from some OBs, they don't get paid for that six weeks. It's lumped in with the prenatal care. So it's not really to their benefit to see someone several times postpartum. Right. And we are trying, you know, I think that with all the um, media out there now and ACOG has come out with kind of the, yes. the fourth trimester mm-hmm. um, guideline. So I think that we're working in the direction of hopefully um, getting that to be more normal. Yeah. But, but the big thing we can promote right now is just to know that you're still at risk. Yeah. And we need to save mom and baby lives because it's now it's really is in the hands of the family in a sense, because they may not have the support from the care provider. So yes, get that blood pressure cuff. So I want to shift a little bit um, to help syndrome. And to be honest, I only recently learned about help syndrome because one of my students had it about two years ago and then maybe three years ago. And then she came back for her next child and And she told everyone in class about it all the time. So can you talk about HELP syndrome and how it's related to preeclampsia? Yeah, so um, HELP syndrome is one of the most severe forms of preeclampsia. So it occurs in about 5 to 12% of preeclamptic patients. It leads to substantial injury. So I totally get um, why that woman spoke about it all the time because it's very significant and and a uh, traumatic experience. Um, So it has substantial injury to the mother's liver, uh, breakdown of her red blood cells, a lowered platelet count, um, and HELP, the the, uh, acronym stands for hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and lowered platelets. Okay. So, yeah. So, because I remember she for a while just complained about a stitch on her right side. And we're like, oh, maybe it's baby kicking, maybe pulled a rib, but it was continuous right side, right side, right side. And then, and then she wasn't there. Um, and we're like, what happened to the student? <laughs> and then she came back later and told us. So it is, it's quite significant. And I will say she had to be a squeaky wheel because everyone kept saying the doctor, you know, uh, you know, oh, it's, it's probably nothing. It's probably the baby or, or it's gas or something. But I like that you're saying like, if you feel something's wrong, speak up. Yes. And, and, and blood work would be what would help um, kind of determine this. And uh, the upper right quadrant pain that you're talking about is what a lot of women report. Um, a lot of times it is mistaken for the flu or gallbladder problems. Um, the pains can feel um, similar. And 
often those pains are nagging and they occur a while before preeclampsia, the symptoms of classic preeclampsia appear. So again, if it's like, no, this isn't right, you know, or I'm worried about this, getting it checked out. And listen, just because I'm saying getting it checked out or go to your emergency department or go to your labor and delivery or go to your OB or call someone doesn't mean that, you know, we hear plenty of women that's like, I did. And I was told that it's nothing, you know, and they've had to advocate again. So I'm not saying that just call your doctor and and everything will be um, listened to appropriately. But advocate for yourself. If it continues after you talk to your doctor, report again. Do not feel badly about advocating for yourself. And a lot of times we can't advocate for ourselves well, especially like when we're the ones that are in pain or we're very pregnant um, or we're emotional. Um, So bring somebody that can kind of be your advocate for you and and understand, um, you know, what answers you want and and go into there and go into the the appointments prepared. Mm -hmm. That's, it's almost like having a a doula, a, a prenatal doula, or a, pre, or a, a pregnancy doula, <laughs> an appointment to, doula, an appointment doula <laughs> to support and, and almost coax on like, did you want to ask this question or what are your thoughts on this? Because sometimes I think partners may go, but they may be overwhelmed by hearing what's going on or concerned. So I like the idea of having someone there. So let's talk about, I mentioned the right side pains is what else might someone look for, for signs and symptoms of help syndrome? Yeah, so um, it is the upper right quadrant pain. You will feel that. And um, the, um, like I said, gallbladder problems or the flu, so you can feel really run down, um, feeling like uh, something just really isn't right. A lot of women, it's that upper right pain. Um, and then and then pre- classic preeclampsia symptoms do start to happen as well. But almost all women will will um, report that pain that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So these are things to keep in that squeaky wheel about and, you know, advocate for yourself because you need to do it prenatally. You need to do it during labor and birth. You need to do it postpartum because, like, you know, we have to look out for ourselves and, and our babies. So is there anything that I didn't ask that you think is relevant for the community to know about preeclampsia prenatally, postnatally, or HELP syndrome, or, or even anything about the preeclampsia foundation or just any final tip in general? Sure. So, so I, I feel like I've, um, iterated this enough, but just know that, um, you know, there are doctors out there that are not specialists in this area, especially if it comes to help syndrome, more specific, um, uh, symptoms. So just be a very educated patient. Um, and, if you're going to the emergency department to report symptoms, especially in the postpartum period, make sure they know that you were recently pregnant. Um, there are different protocols that they give for a pregnant women rather than just a woman coming in off the street saying that she's having blurry vision. So very important that you give your full history um, and that you advocate for yourself. Uh, just because there's guidelines out there doesn't mean that every um, doctor is aware of them or uses them. Don't feel afraid to get a second opinion. You can always uh, monitor your blood pressure at home. So get a blood pressure cuff and you can monitor at home and, you know, keep a log, um, trust your instincts, and you can always reach out to the Preeclampsia Foundation for support as well. 
I love it. And I'll make sure that we include that website in our, in our show notes. Well, you gave amazing information, shed some light on something that I don't think people talk about enough. So thank you for your time. I truly appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we love being able to so many women that come to us know about preeclampsia already. Um, and so we love branching out into channels where women might not know about preeclampsia and we can get them before the symptoms hit. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time and your expertise. Enjoy your day. Thank you so much, Deb. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.